Hey, I'm Brian Hyatt, and this is Rolling Stone Music Now, and I'm in the studio with Brendan Klinkenberg, and we're going to be talking about Kanye West and his new album, Jesus is King. We were going to start by talking about the road to Jesus is King, and we were saying before the show started, truly the road to Jesus is King even involves the Pornhub Awards. It's been a long one. It's been a long and winding road to Jesus is King. So maybe start by tracing a little bit, if you don't mind. Well, I love it. It came out, I guess, tail end of the year, of last year, kind of almost as a corrective to the yay and good music releases that happened mid-year 2018. Kanye had released five albums that he'd produced, all of the songs on across five weeks, and Basically, none of them had been a commercial success. I think he was coming off of a lot of controversial remarks about Trump and slavery and was like hoping that music would kind of bring him through the whole process. And I think like those albums kind of did in a weird way. Like we remember Ye not as the Trump album, but as the Wyoming album where he flew out like every music journalist alive to hear the album at a ranch in Wyoming. But I love it, which he collaborated on with Lil Pump, who's kind of faded from public consciousness as well <laughs> since this and it's kind of like a one-off almost housey track that was honestly like his last great commercial hit he premiered it at the Pornhub Awards it's about sex he's rapping with a I believe still a teenager and it's kind of like Kanye that you would get every now and then on an album rarely as a single and it succeeded at being like dumb and fun but not really anything else And then fast forward to a year later and he's making a gospel album where he won't swear, is talking about how he doesn't like his wife posting selfies on Instagram because that means that the selfies are not for him. Sexual politics, it's a real about face and kind of incoherent. But yeah, it's it's been a weird, weird couple of years to be covering this. The people making the album with him were uh, discouraged, at the very least, from having premarital sex. There were some rules involved. I haven't seen that the emails, but uh, yeah, that's the word. <laughs> Chuck D called that cult-like. Church-like, at the very least. <laughs> More generously, church-like. But what happened? What do we know about the conversion? And a major missing piece that we haven't talked about yet is the Sunday services in between. So what do we think happened here between the Pornhub Awards and Jesus is King? Well, I mean, the short answer is I have no idea. The long answer is you can kind of see the timeline and how all this sort of evolved. You have last fall, basically, is I Love It. He releases a little bit here and there, but not too much actual music. And then by January, there are these things happening where people were mostly finding out about it on Instagram where these clips would show up of Kanye and like a choir in all white singing like gospel versions of old Kanye songs. I think for the first couple weeks, everyone was like, these sound great, which is a response that we hadn't had about Kanye since probably 2016 or 17. And it felt like he was very consciously like going back to sort of like the old Kanye, as he would probably put it. Now we know a little more. Like when he started organizing these, it was incredibly seat of your pants planning. He was calling people in Los Angeles and trying to book choirs with very short notice. He found a a choir director who was able to put it together. But they didn't really have a plan when they started these Sunday services. We ran an interview this week with the choir director who kind of heads up and coordinates a lot of this stuff. And he says that Kanye wouldn't describe the start of Sunday services as like his conversion moment, but it was definitely when Kanye was starting to take Christianity 
as a saving force in his life very seriously. Clearly, there was a conversion experience. He clearly was born again at some point in this, but we, we don't know exactly when or what the exact impetus for it was. And, you know, what's funny is my first thought when I heard about the Sunday services beyond, yeah, like the music seemed really cool and he obviously seemed really energized, was wondering somewhat cynically whether it was a bid for redemption in the face of all the Trump stuff and the comments that made no sense, including kind of blaming slavery on the enslaved people and stuff that was really kind of aberrant that went beyond even just supporting Trump. And I was kind of wondering whether there would be kind of a pullback from all that connected to this, but it turned out no. He's pretty much still on the same ideological path just with this conversion added onto it, I think. Yeah, I mean, I think that celebrities, like in the last hundred years, like typically will turn to the church in times of turmoil for some public relations cover, but I don't think that works in 2019. So if this was some like grand plan to endear himself to the world, I think becoming a born-again Christian is not necessarily the straightest line to that where America's at right now with fair, regards to the church. Fair point. And then secondarily, like Kanye still has the same persecution complex he's had for the past couple years now, and arguably for the past like half decade, where he constantly feels besieged. He thinks that he's a person who is generally kept into boxes that he shouldn't be, and he thinks people are trying to police his thoughts. On the album, it's kind of interesting in that he thinks the pivot to Christianity is both like the most radical thing he can do, but he also thinks that Christians aren't giving him enough credit for it. So I don't think that anything Kanye's doing right now is insincere in any way. I think you should take it all at face value just because... No, I think once I heard the album and his interviews, I had absolutely no doubt of that, but yeah. Yeah, I don't think there's a bigger strategy here. I think this is for better or for worse, and I think... He would obviously say for much better, it's what he believes right now and what he thinks is going to save him. My other first thought is how much this is in a continuum with sort of the entire history of uh, popular music. And I, I think Carl Wilson also wrote about that in Slate. It's just like, I mean, look at, and it went both ways, obviously, from people like Sam Cooke and Little Richard, who came from the church and formed the kind of basis of what we knew as R&B from gospel music, mm -hmm. and then in some cases went back. And Aretha, who also came from the church, but was able to incorporate amazing gospel albums into her canon without yeah. ever abandoning her popular mission. Slight tangent, but did you yeah. see Amazing Grace when it hit theaters Amazing, again? yeah. Yeah, it's just incredible. Yeah, obviously there's a huge lineage and a lot to draw on, and I think some of that really comes to bear on Jesus is King, and especially if you watch like the Sunday services, there are these transcendent moments where he's taking this huge the like weight of history and like kind of is able to put it through the Kanye West prism which is like what he's always done. And it's interesting to hear him do that with worship music in a way that he usually has like danced around rather than like attacked head on, you know, then he starts rapping. <laughs> we have a little bit of just a moment from one of the Sunday services. Maybe let's just hear what it sounded like if we can. So a little bit 
little bit of just kind of a rearrangement there. And then... Well, yeah, that's one of the songs from the new album that I don't think works that well as a recorded piece of music, but when you hear it in that context, feels completely different. Very exciting, really. John Cameronica from the New York Times said this in his review of Jesus is King, is that Kanye's become, especially in his later career more of a master of texture than he is of like actual like he's kind of overseeing so many different artists when he makes an album he's pulling from so many different sources of just like sampling or just instruments and he kind of makes these songs that sound so rich and then to hear him playing with a full choir and like a brass band and like all of these drums and it just like kind of brings home that like he is the best at this the thing that he is trying to do he's fully capable of yeah there's production moments on this album that are among the best things i've heard in any music this year you know yeah I've, i said this a lot when yay came out and i feel like it's even more true with jesus is king is like kanye west on autopilot is better than almost anybody else working right now like there's very few albums that i think are as compelling the way that jesus is king at its high points are compelling my ultimate feelings on the album are not as strong, but I do think that there's there's a reason we pay so close attention to this guy. And there's a reason it's been happening for so long, despite him being like the most mercurial person in like the public sphere. And that's because like when he turns it on and when he has some inspiration, he does stuff that no one else can do. The album speaks for itself much better with the caveat that there's some truly, truly inexplicable lyrical content sometimes <laughs> and then just utterly baffling and some musical moments that don't work. All that said, the album speaks much better for itself than Kanye is doing in his interviews lately and certainly better than some of the reception from his new ideological compatriots, which, you know, it's fascinating and hilarious and somewhat tragic to have I don't know how closely you followed this, but like Donald Trump Jr. playing music critic, <laughs> you know, and he really tried hard. He wrote a little capsule review. On Twitter. Uh, yeah. It seemed like he spent at least, you know, 20 minutes. We should toss him a, a short DJT picks in our <laughs> review section. No, I mean, you know, everything that's happening on any kind of public stage right now is part of the culture wars. Absolutely. And Kanye is one of the most odd figures who's being both used and using the culture wars for like everyone's purposes. What Kanye wants out of this is unclear, but it's like when Donald Trump Jr. tweets about the Kanye album, you know that he's not doing it as a rap listener who thinks that he just like got dropped this like this piece of fire flames record. He's just kind of trying to needle people. And Kanye is in some respects playing into that. I don't think it like makes as much sense here because I think Kanye fans do kind of like this album. So it's not going to be like the cultural flashpoint that the right-wing provocateurs hope it will be. Oh, that's interesting. It would play more into their aims if rap fans and Kanye fans kind of hated it, but they got to claim it. That's interesting. I hadn't thought of that. Yeah. I mean, everything works better if there's two polar opposite opinions. If they could prove that the intolerant left was not listening to a great album and like was like giving it short shrift because it didn't agree with their politics, that'd be an easier narrative to sell then. This is a really messy album, and I like it for some reasons, hate it for other reasons, and most of them don't align with the same reasons that I'm against the Trump administration. So actually, the best way to look at it, maybe, is that Jesus is King by Kanye West has unexpectedly united the nation, because <laughs> everyone kind of likes it. Well. <laughs> kind of, sort of. I think I think a lot of people kind of, sort of like it, and then some people are performatively saying it's the greatest album to be released in some time. Yes. People on the right who have literally never heard a rap album in their yeah, entire lives I mean, before. It's, it's just... Actually, then it would be really exciting, because you're like, wow, like rap is awesome. <laughs> Even some of this half-ass shit he's doing is, if, is really if this very is, impressive it, 
if you've never if this heard is before. The, if this is the gateway for a bunch of people to start listening to more rap, then I think it did a strange job, but a good job. So I want to take a moment and talk about Vivid Seats. Staying at home is great, but eventually you just got to get out of the house. Whether you go out to see your favorite band or go cheer on your favorite team in person, you got to get out of the house. You got to have a night out. And with Vivid Seats, you can attend the concert of your choice, the sports event of your choice, whatever event you're looking for at a great price. Vivid Seats is the top source for tickets for all the live events you might want to go to. On their site, you can sort by price or look for seats in the section and row of your choice. You can pick the seat you want. To make things even better, Vivid Seats is giving listeners an exclusive promo code for new customers to receive 10% off your first ticket order to save even more money. Just go to the App Store or Google Play and download the Vivid Seats app. First-time customers can use promo code ROLLINGSTONE, that's R-O-L-L-I-N-G-S-T-O-N-E, for 10% off your first Vivid Seats order. Every purchase is backed by a 100% buyer guarantee, from the biggest concerts and games to the hottest theater and more. Vivid Seats has it all. Download the app and enter promo code ROLLINGSTONE for 10% off your first order on Vivid Seats. Make a memory that lasts a lifetime and let Vivid Seats help you get to your favorite live event. We were saying that the single that preceded this was uh, in a very different vein. It was called I Love It. We didn't get a chance to play it, so let's hear that now if we can. You're such a fucking hoe. I love it. You're such a fucking hoe. I love it. So yeah, a year is a long time, apparently. <laughs> yeah, Jesus is King is a is a different vibe. One of the things that's great about this album is, as you were saying, the, the lineup of other producers he works with on it, who lend all sorts of different textures, all sorts of different stuff on it. What are some of your favorite kind of production moments and producers on it? A lot of this album is similar to a lot of late stage Kanye albums where it's very self-referential in terms of production. Right. So something like Use This Gospel, which I think is probably my favorite song on the album, feels a lot like Hold My Liquor from Yeezus. It's got this like atonal sound going the whole time. A lot of build up, a lot of catharsis. He's just using major chords now and has a Kenny G sax solo instead of like what would be like Bon Iver's tortured warbling through autotune he's like changed the textures that he's using to make a very similar song let's hear some of that if we can yeah use this gospel for protection it's a hard road to heaven we call on your blessings and the father the Kenny G, I don't know. It works in context. He could have gotten any saxophonist in the world, but he did get. <laughs> he got Kenny G to play it as uh, for Valentine's Day or whatever, and they got to talking, and, and Kenny G uh, whipped out a sax, and, and here we go. And I guess another way to look at it is that he's developed all these kind of languages that he can now call upon at yeah. will. And certainly, there's a lot of 808s and heartbreak. There's a lot of he does all this stuff that he can bring to light whenever needed. And I think that does become pretty effective on this. Yeah, and, there's, and then we spent the first 10 or 15 minutes without really talking about the album, talking about like all the metatextual stuff going on. And, like that song's like a, another great example where he has, he's reuniting the clips, which who have famously not really wrapped together in almost 10 years. <laughs> yeah. Because Malice changed his name to No Malice and only wants to make Christian music, which split up probably one of the best rap duos this side of Outkast. And he reunites them for his gospel album. And at the end, Malice raps that, like, you have to hug your brother even when he doesn't have faith, right after his brother raps. And it's just one of those things where you're, because we know so much about 
these people and because we know so much about Kanye, he's able to like increase the drama quotient in a way that no other artist is really able to pull off. And it, when it works, makes for these incredibly powerful moments. Yeah, and he ends up having, again, the clips and Kenny G on the same track, which yeah, also is like... Just, I mean... <laughs> it's bananas. I mean, as a billion people said, it's like a duo who basically rapped about cocaine, now rapping about Jesus is wild. Well, Push is still rapping about Of course, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but he's now pulled into this. Did you watch the movie? Uh, no, I haven't. I've sent several writers to go watch it for me and edited the coverage of that. But by the time it made it to IMAX, I felt like I had a pretty good idea and was frankly just, you know, I'm not going to a theater at this point to, I have a good idea of what this is and have been neck deep in covering other angles for this album. I think that's understandable. But there was, in fact, a a whole IMAX production for this. Yeah, so the deal with that is Kanye has been filming in IMAX some of the Sunday service sessions that took place at James Terrell's, like, giant inaccessible to the public art installation. Terrell is this guy who works mostly with light. If you live in New York, there's one of his works at MoMA PS1 over in Long Island City. But he makes these giant structures that let light in in different and interesting ways. The most famous use of Terrell-esque aesthetics was Drake's Hotline Bling music video. Another funny function of this decade is like major rap artists fighting for rights over like a fine artist. It's amazing. I think Kanye kind of started that. So Kanye got Terrell to sign off on having a performance or several performances there, and he's made a semi-experimental documentary about the process that kind of takes in a lot of stuff. It's about a half hour long, and I believe it's out of theaters now, but it might have a couple more days of the run if you live close to an IMAX theater. Yeah, you had your choice of slightly self-aggrandizing documentaries between like the uh, Springsteen Western Stars, <laughs> <laughs> Kanye, Jesus is King. You know, it's like, it's been a big year for that. All in theaters at the same time. Let's talk about Closed on Sunday. There's a line in it <laughs> that actually some people like Complex thought it was like a totally fire line, unless they're being sarcastic. <laughs> and then actually I saw other people think it's a great line. Other people think it's total garbage. And Bacani was clearly proud of it because he says it at least three times in the song, maybe more. It's like, closed on Sunday, you're my Chick-fil-A. Mm-hmm. And then he rhymes it with, hold the selfies, put the gram away. <sighs> and this is kind of where we get into the area of like, what what is he talking about? I mean, um, I know what he's talking about, but yeah, what is he I mean, talking I mean, about? So, yeah. I mean, so, I mean, he's talking about the need to not post selfies on Sundays because it's the Lord's Day. It's kind of about Kim Kardashian, who's probably the most famous selfie taker in history, has a 600-page book of selfies. You know, the the reason that line doesn't work for me is just because I don't understand the first half. It's like the punchline still works, but the I'm like, why just Sunday? Like, why not <laughs> never I don't understand the Sunday thing. And I, I was raised in the church. I'm fully not not with him on that one. You know, it's it's not my job as a critic or as just a human being to like tell Kanye what to believe. And if he thinks this is important, by all means, you have a platform, try and get out what you think is important. I think that when people in the past have called Kanye not a great rapper, they're talking about it in this kind of like grand historical sense not in terms of actually being a communicator. I think he's actually an incredibly sharp writer across his career and is able to distill, like, especially on the college dropout, like incredibly complex emotions and boil them down to a single sentence in a lot of cases. And that the first half of Closed on Sunday just doesn't make any sense to me. I just cannot like figure out exactly what he means. I don't fully grasp the intentionality of the phrasing. And like for better or for worse, that's kind of what I expect 
from a Kanye album or like from a Kanye thought at this point. So my disappointment isn't coming from the moral implications, which I don't agree with in my personal life, but like if that's what he wants to make a song about, like sure. he's more than welcome to. It's that I don't quite get what he's coming at. And then the second half of that song, which I, I wrote in my review, I think is kind of stunning. He makes an about face and then just goes into like also very vague, but very Old Testamenty like talk. And he's singing on his own in a very like plaintive tone. And it's kind of that eye for instinctual melody that he developed since 808s and Heartbreak. And it's a different song, but the first half really doesn't work. And the second half doesn't quite earn out enough for me to call that a good song. It's just also like sort of watch out for vipers. Don't let them indoctrinate. That felt beyond just specifically Christian. That felt like kind of right wingy to me. It felt like a Fox News kind of thing. So, but maybe, maybe not. I mean, I think one of the major themes of Kanye's work is paranoia, especially since My Beautiful Dark Twisted Fantasy and he had like kind of post Taylor Swift stuff. He's had like the whole world, including like Barack Obama, turn against him. And I think that left a me against the world mentality that he's never really shaken off or wanted to. I think that just comes with the like grand narrative of being Kanye. Like if you're this good at making music, you get incredibly famous for doing it. And then your life is never the same again. And it's kind of this Faustian bargain that he's almost always dealing with. So the Vipers line kind of fits into stuff that would have been almost on any Kanye album. I guess it's the indoctrinate more that gets to me. But yeah, the Vipers, you're absolutely right. Yeah. The, the indoctrinate feels, that just reminds me of like a Fox News guy saying like they indoctrinate you in the public schools to left wing, uh, you know, whatever. That's kind of, but fair enough. And I think he does, <laughs> I think he does feel like people are trying to indoctrinate other people. I don't think he's correct. But that line didn't give me too much pause. It's the stuff before it that really uh, threw me off. <laughs> and I think we have the second half of that song ready. And it, it is moving, you know, and it's like, and, and stand up for my home, even if I would take this walk alone. Like, it's cool, but let's hear that a little bit. Even if I take this walk alone, I bow down to the king upon the throne. And that's actually reminds me when I was listening to this song, it's interesting. There's a little bit of like a obviously an 808s and heartbreak, but also like kind of like a horror movie quality yeah. to the music, which is really interesting. That, that just even that repeated kind of like there's no there's no comp- Kanye compositions without some tension, and like he could have made just like a. I mean, maybe we'll hear it in Jesus is Born, the Christmas album he's announced, like a pure like <laughs> which will be out in time for Easter for sure. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, like this pure like actual gospel record. But yeah, like even when he's trying to do like. He's literally just trying to express to you how deeply he feels about God in that moment. And he's still not able to keep that little buzzsaw synth from going. Some of his Christianity or some of what he's been saying, both in interviews and on the record, there's like a kind of a link in his thinking between taxes and his newfound religion, (laughs) which, which, as you said, it's probably just because, you know, he's finally really making money tons of money, you know, largely from sneakers. And he said a wild thing. And like you said, hopefully he was kidding that he <laughs> that he got a, a massive tax refund and that was God. Mm-hmm. I think it's in the song On God. Yeah. He says some wild things like, you know, he starts talking about the IRS and he goes, that's why I charge the prices that I charge. I can't be out here dancing with the stars, which did make me laugh. I cannot let my family starve. I go hard. All good. But then he goes, that's on God. And it's like, whoa, <laughs> like God is sort of dictating the prices he charges for shoes. Like, <laughs> like damn, that is, he can't really... <laughs> He can't really exactly mean that. I mean, I think that's going to be the thing that we keep circling back to is I have no idea what he means. And that's <laughs> and that's t- typically not how I feel about uh, Kanye stuff. I yeah. think like 
when he's at his best, you can agree with him or disagree with him. You know exactly what he means and like exactly how he feels about something. And most of the albums that I grew up listening to are these like capsule portraits of a very interesting person who's thought deeply about the world. And now it doesn't quite feel that way. Do you think some of it is just the company he's keeping? I mean, we know he's been hanging out with Candace Owens. Some of it is yeah. his new friends, I guess. And and possibly stuff he's watching on YouTube or frankly God knows what. Yeah, I have I have zero idea of what Kanye's media diet is at this point and I don't really want to speculate because just that would take me down a road I personally don't want to go down. I think this is more of a problem that you see all over the place in terms of like once you reach a level level of celebrity and wealth, you enter into a bubble with very few people who can access it. And the people that Kanye's chosen to identify with right now seem to be people like Candace Owens who are like, in my opinion, engaged in misinformation campaigns. And whether Kanye believes that or whether he thinks it's like fun thought experiments is really tough to nail down. Again, we talk about these lines, but they're combined. The controversial stuff lyrically on this album is maybe 30 seconds. That's true. That's fair. I mean, the album's only 27 minutes long, but... Stays in your head, though, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, I was writing these reviews, yeah. and, like, over the few days I had with the album, like, you can listen to it a lot of times, but I couldn't unlock exactly what these lines about the IRS and, like, the kind of allusion to tithing was supposed to actually mean. So you're left with just being like, well, okay, I guess we move on, move on, but I don't know what he was going for. I'm looking at someone titled their video, Is Kanye West, Jesus is King, Good or Bad? <laughs> and that's truly what we're trying to decide here today and it you know it's it's just not that simple no uh, yeah i like the song water which you described as meandering i do not like water <laughs> i think in its current it was originally debuted at kanye's big sunday service at coachella which where he kind of had been a- approached to do the headlining show but wanted to build basically a geodesic dome in the middle of the <laughs> polo grounds in india so he dropped out i uh, believe Ariana was the headliner right, that replaced yeah. him. And he, for the second weekend of Coachella, had a. They opened the grounds early for Kanye's Sunday service on the. Um, I believe it was actually Easter Sunday. No one was really sure what to expect during that. And the only new song that was played that was like a Kanye original was Water. And I, I kind of felt at that point that it was maybe the worst Kanye song that I'd, I'd heard so far. <laughs> Maybe I need to do the opposite of giving it another chance. Maybe I need to listen more critically uh, to that yeah. one. I mean, you know, also, like, this is all personal preference. Yeah. I think the version that showed up on Jesus is King is much better oh, than okay. the live version that I heard. I no longer think it's the maybe the worst, but it really doesn't work for me. Let's hear a little bit of that and see if we can decide. Jesus, float through us. Jesus, heal the bruises. Jesus, now, clean the music. Yeah, I'm, specific. I'm going to stand by my meandering. <laughs> to, well, okay, to be specific, I think what I like about that song is everything but Kanye. Mm-hmm. <laughs> of course, I mean, everything but Kanye rapping, because you have to give him credit for yeah, uh, yeah. the rap. I mean, again, like, I... You think that even on the Kanye songs I don't like, there's usually something to pay attention to. For me in this one, it's the bass line, which I think just ricochets really nicely. It's livelier than everything else in the song. You had a very trenchant comment in your review pointing out that something he mentions on this album, something he's mentioned a million times in lyrics and interviews, that when he was first finding success as a producer, everyone told him not to rap. Mm-hmm. And 
you said for the first time you're starting to understand where they're coming from. You know, which what led you to that point? Um, so I mean, again, like to be clear, like I think if Kanye had listened to those people, it would be a, a great a, loss, a, a tragedy. I think that those people are part of Kanye's origin story because he then worked much harder. Like he he dedicates like 13 minutes of this in his outro to his first album. Basically, like it's like a how-to guide to become a success and release your first album. And one of the things is like Jay Z didn't think Kanye was a good rapper, and so he made sure whenever he rapped for Jay Z that he'd written one bulletproof line. So mayonnaise color bends, I call it Miracle Whip, is the one he cites in that outro. And I think like the reason Kanye is such a compelling rapper is he might not be the most naturally talented rapper, but he worked so hard that he like is creating some of the best rap songs around. I think when you get to this album, you're starting to see that like attention to detail slip away a little bit when it comes to the lyrics and when it comes to the flow, when it comes to the delivery, to the point where you feel like he's maybe not giving you the thing that made you a fan in the first place. I think that's fair enough. I wanted to point out that the guy singing who I really like on water is this guy Ant Clemens mm-hmm. and he's worked with Kanye before for example on, on the song All Mine <laughs> the same guy who's singing We're Pure as Water Like a Newborn Daughter you know Let Your Light Reflect on Me the last time he was like damn that ass busted out the bottom you know so it's like mm-hmm. it's interesting to, to see that he's kind of made people as with the clips kind of like come on his journey with him it's just you know but everyone has multiple sides to him yeah of course different day different mood (laughs) what do you think of his declaration and i almost hesitate to get into anything he's been saying in interviews because there are a lot but what do you think of his declaration and it's not the first time we've heard this from someone by any means and again it reminds me of people like you know like when bob dylan had his christian conversion and i think there's a lot of parallels there there's always people who always kind of parallel these two artists Dylan had a period when he was very hesitant to play his old material. He was kind of just going out and playing just the new material, which didn't uh, go over (laughs) super well, as you can imagine. Mm -hmm. But Kanye has now said he's done, that he will never perform his old material again. And not just that he'll change the lyrics, but that maybe he's, as he's been doing, but maybe he's done with it. That seems like a very fluid decision. He's been changing his mind a lot. A lot of the Sunday service stuff, the interview with the choir director in particular, like he was performing his old songs, but they were going in and rewriting them so they didn't contain any profanity. That's more of the Prince technique. After he sort of became a Jehovah's Witness, he kind of cleansed the lyrics. I mean, if Kanye does not want to perform his old stuff, he needs to release more music if he wants to tour. I mean, I would be surprised if that ended up being the case. But, you know, again, like, he's in a position in his career where he can do whatever he wants. And if that's what he wants to do, like, good luck. We were talking about the fairly positive reception kind of that's you know to in in the rap world in some cases very positive where do you think he stands now as far as just you know among real hip-hop fans and in what he calls the culture which he has very negative things to say about the idea of the culture but where does he stand now from his trump remarks from his slavery remarks from this album, from where he's at, like it's it's hard to sum up. There's everyone's a different person, but what are the different threads of response to him within the rap world? I think would be the proper thing to say. I mean, again, I think Kanye's big problem is looking at everyone as this monolith that he needs to like educate and resist. I mean, the overwhelming sense I'm getting is exhaustion. Yeah. I think having to keep up with, <laughs> with this is has been and like I'm obviously like because I'm an editor covering this stuff at a magazine i'm sort of it's your job i'm I'm kind of penned in yeah but there are other stories where i feel 
a little more vitality in the public conversation. And because this has been going on for 18 months, this feels like a new wrinkle in a long story. And I'm not sure like how much longer it really goes on where people continue to tune in. I think the album is compelling enough that I, even as a fan and not just as a someone who is paid to do this, would still listen to more Kanye albums. But I don't know how many three-hour interviews I would tune into. The stuff that I do think about a lot is like the fact that he's talked about Trump a lot and has always kind of walked his comments back to a halfway point where he's like, I'm not actually condoning any of the policies. I just think that like we're all like thinking too stringently and we need to like expand like what we think about in the world. And like maybe there are some good ideas on the other side, all of which like to be clear, I disagree with. (laughs) But it also makes me like the fact of the matter is like there are actual policies that we do need to be debating right now. There is like an election coming up. There is like genuine things we need to be out in the streets over. And if this is the way Kanye wants to comport himself, that's fine. It's just not that, like, he's not actually striking at, like, the heart of anything except keeping attention on Kanye. Mm. I mean, one of the things he keeps saying is that he was canceled. I'm not sure he was canceled, weirdly. You know, <laughs> so, like, he didn't, he didn't seem to achieve full cancellation, assuming that there is even truly such a thing as being canceled. How do you see that? I mean, this was covered pretty well in a New Republic piece recently about cancel culture, where it, like, doesn't seem like the people who are most upset about being canceled were really canceled at all. Like, exactly. they're always still millionaires. Yeah, I think we're conflating things. Like, I think when celebrities conflate getting canceled, like, you have such a wide range of, like, he did not get arrested, like Harvey Weinstein, who I think is, like, the prime, like, cancellation poster boy. And, of course, even he is, uh, you know, somehow out on the town. Yeah, so I I think this, like, concept of cancellation, and, like, and I think he has a right. But, I I mean, like, I don't think there's this, like, this grand army of people with torches and pitchforks looking for Kanye right now. I think he brings a lot of negative responses on himself. God, I just kind of pictured people in MAGA hats at Kanye concerts, which is... Uh... I wonder. I, ha- I haven't heard of anything like that happening at any of the Sunday service shows. We've sent writers to a bunch of the events for Jesus King that were open to the public, and he doesn't really touch on that stuff in front of crowds, as far as I can tell. He did like a two to three times at Sunday services, but it was an exception, and it wasn't every time he did, there was a little bit of a pushback. Yeah, he, I know with the ones we've covered, he's like mentioned the 13th Amendment, which comes with a lot of baggage given his like previous statements, but he did not actually, and then like those references ended up on the album. So in general, I would be very interested to see where this takes him in terms of doing live shows but i don't see any guarantee that like this is going to lead to an actual traditional tour i mean listen we're still talking about him (laughs) your exhaustion aside (laughs) we're we're still kind of interested you know and and partly is because there is something to the music still for sure and here we are but this has been basically today's rolling stone music now i'm brian hyatt i was in the studio with brendan klinkenberg thanks very much yeah no problem we'll be back next week here on sirius xm's volume channel 106 in the meantime we're a podcast download us as a podcast subscribe to us as a podcast wherever you get your podcasts maybe leave us a nice review on itunes i still read them all and in the meantime thanks for listening as always and we'll see you next week